Why don't we pray? Father, we want to thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to come and to open your word and to hear the deep truths of God and to study what you've given to us as our life example. Lord, we thank you for your word because it's so rich. And yet at times, Lord, it's difficult to learn because it challenges who we are and what we need to be. So, Father, as we open Scripture today, as we look at the principles of your word, Father, would you help us just to open our minds and our hearts? Father, as we set apart our young people today, to our little kids, to go out and learn, Father, it's no less important than what we're doing in here. We want to honour them and we want to impart into their lives in a really special way so that they learn, so that they're discipled and that they're nurtured. So, Lord, we ask a blessing upon our young people this morning. Father, may their ears be open. May their spiritual hearts and eyes be open to learn about you, Lord, and all that you've done and about your mighty power and your will and purposes for their life equally for our life, Lord. Father, we just thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, kids, before you go out, we want to get all your leaders up here. So, Glenn, would you come up here with your team of leaders? Sherry, that's you. One, two, one, two, three. You light on today? Come on, Emma. Here come. Anyone else? Anybody? Good enough. Well done, cooked. See it does. Good of four amigos. Okay, we'll move up a bit because we're going to pray for you. Why don't we get some of you folk from the congregation to come up? We're going to lay hands on these guys and just we haven't actually set our leaders apart. We've set the kids apart, but it's really important that we pray for you. This is a it's a really important ministry. Come on, Cassie, you can come up too. You're a big part of this. Come on, Jordan. Don't be shy. Jeremy, would you pray for us? Thank you, guys. We really value all that you do and your sacrifice. I'm sure the kids do too. Okay, kids, you may go. Okay. If anyone's wondering what the bags are out there this morning, there's fresh bread out there. You're free to take that home. Help yourself. That's what it's there for. And Vicky, where's Vicky? She's hiding up the back. Stand up, Vicky. Vicky needs a big, strong man to go and help her move some sandstone blocks.
So if anyone feels led to do that, you talk to Vicky. I'm sure she'll make you a cup of coffee. As long as, you, as long as you're watching the rugby, you might get someone to come. If you're not, it might be a struggle. Okay, last week we began a study about foundations, looking at what is the normal Christian birth. And our study was really trying to uncover what does it mean to be fully initiated into the kingdom of God? What are the steps, what are the things that we have to do to know that we're fully alive spiritually? And the, we saw that the scriptures use a specific phrase to describe that process. It's being born again. I'm not telling you anything new for most of you. But what we did learn was that there's a really strong parallel between our natural birth process and our spiritual birth process. And those two are linked together. And when Jesus tried to describe what it meant to be born again, he used that natural birth process to help us understand the spiritual birth process. So when we think about repentance, it's cutting the cord to our past life. It's dealing with our life when we were in the kingdom of Satan, in the kingdom of darkness, when we were entangled in sin, and it was cutting that off. Repentance is actually breaking the cords that tie us in allegiance to the enemy. And we turn around and we move the opposite way and we walk with God. So that relates to the umbilical cord being cut as a child. When we become separated from our mother, we, that past existence is gone and we become independent. We have a new life. And there's that link there. The second thing was washing. When we wash the baby and we clean it up, it's the same as when we have a baptism. We deal with our, our past and, and our sins are washed away and we're raised to new life, ready to move on into the fullness of the Christian life. And then we saw that the third part of the natural birth process that's really important is that the baby breathes and takes in breath, fills its oxygen, can breathe on its own. And that is a real parallel to us receiving the Holy Spirit. That if we are not spirit-filled Christians, if we're not born again in the sense of going right through that process and experiencing the power of God come upon us in the person of the Holy Spirit, then we haven't actually finished the full process of what God designed. And we saw that different denominations pick up on those different themes and they make some of those really important and they make some of those not very important. But what we saw in Scripture was that every one of those steps is vitally important to be born again, to really experience what God wants for us. And so we learnt that when we repent, we connect in relationship to our Father God. When we believe in the Lord Jesus and when we're baptised into his death and resurrection, we're connected in relationship with him through faith. And then when we're filled with the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity inhabits our lives and so we have this relationship with the whole Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we saw that different people in their journeys sometimes experience one or two or three of those steps, but not always do Christians get the whole four. And what our thesis is, is saying that in our lives we need to check the boxes off. We, know, we need to know that we've repented, that we've believed, 
that we've been baptized and that we've received. And we use that little word rubber. It's where the rubber hits the road in our life. And so we need to check those four boxes off. Have I really repented before God? Have I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I been baptized in water? And have I received the Holy Spirit? So today we're going to start looking at repentance. And just before we look at the first one, I want you to understand that there are two words in Scripture that we use really frequently to describe the salvation process. You'll hear both these words. You'll hear the word, I want to tell you about my conversion. And you'll hear other people say, I want to tell you about when I was regenerated. We use those words interchangeably in Christian circles, but they're not actually the same word. And we need to understand that there is a very clear difference in Scripture about those two. So if I were to ask you today to come up and tell me about your conversion, you are actually describing to me the human side of the salvation process, what you did in turning your life around and coming to God. So you can have your car converted from petrol to unleaded gas and we change the flow of fuel. But you can also change your attitude towards God and we call that conversion. It's man's side of that relationship. It's everything that I do, I choose to do, to become a Christian. And when we talk about repentance and faith and baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit, in the Scriptures they're all in the imperative mood, which means we're commanded to do those things. I have to exercise faith. I have to repent. I have to believe. I have to be baptized. I have to choose to receive the Holy Spirit. So the onus when I talk about conversion is on me to do something. I have to be active in the process. I can't just sit there and let God do it all. But if I were to use the word regeneration, then I would be talking about everything that God is doing in the salvation process. So when I choose to repent, God is granting me forgiveness. When I choose to believe, God is actually giving me that capacity to believe. Faith is not of me, it's of God. When I choose to be baptised, God is washing my sins away and meeting me in that process. When I choose to receive the Holy Spirit, it's God that's pouring out his Spirit upon me. So when we talk about conversion and generation, we're talking about my part and God's part in this beautiful dovetail where there's God's activity and my activity beautifully coming together. It's not all about me. It's not all about God. It's about both of us together doing something, and that's the best way to understand the salvation process. Yes, I have to do something, but God will meet me in what I do, and they'll come together in a beautiful way. It's a beautiful cooperation. It's a partnership. So let's dive into talking about repentance today. And just a word of caution. Because repentance is the first step in the journey of being born again, and it's dealing with Let's face it, it's dealing with the rubbish in our life. It's dealing with everything that's offensive to God. And if we were just to take that first step in isolation, Christianity would look horribly heavy and burdensome and, and nasty in the sense because it's ugly. It's all, all that is ugly about our life that we're dealing with. And if you only got a glimpse of repentance, 
It would make the Christian life look horrible because it's only the first part. It's the emptying out process. And if we don't move through the process to get to the infilling, all we do is create a vacuum. And what we really need to do is see that we go from emptying ourselves out of all the rubbish and the sin and all that we're entangled with and we come to a point where we're filled with all the good stuff. But if you only go through that part of emptying out, you end up a miserable Christian because you've got rid of all the bad stuff but you haven't filled yourself up with all the good stuff. And so there's lots of miserable Christians around that aren't having any fun because they've just emptied their lives out but they haven't encountered the fullness of what God wants. And so we need to see the whole process And if you just came in and listened to one message about repentance, you might walk out with a real headache and be really burdened. But it's just one part of the process. We need to go right through. So the first step of entering the kingdom of God, being born again, initiated into the Christian faith, has always been repent. We have to repent. When John the Baptist started his ministry, he called people to repentance. When Jesus started his ministry, repent because the kingdom of God is near. When Peter stood up at Pentecost, first word, repent. It's the first step of the Christian faith. It's not a popular message. It's not a pleasant message, because what we're really doing is turning the mirror around and facing it on our own lives and asking God to show us who we really are and what we're really like. And that's not nice. Because, well, what we're going to see in that mirror is pretty ugly. It's offensive to God. The tragedy in Christian circles is that in this day and age, God, by his spirit, is burdening people in the church to repent. God is having to call the church to repent, and he shouldn't have to. We should have already have dealt with that mainstay of sin in our life. But because we're not birthing people into the faith, much of what happens in Christian circles is that God has to say to us, repent, deal with that, do away with that. But we should have done that at the very beginning of our Christian walk. What it does if we're repentant people at the start, it enables us to take up the full responsibility of the church and call the church for the church to call the world to repent. We should be declaring to the world, you need to get your lives right. But God is saying to us, hang on a minute, you haven't got your lives right yet. You can't do that until we're righteous and holy and walking the road of holiness. And so that's the trouble with church today is that when we try to go out and step out for God, God says, hang on a minute, you guys better clean up your own backyard before you can actually stand there without being hypocritical. And repentance is not popular. It's not popular to stand in a pulpit and ask people to get their lives right. It's not a feel-good thing, but it's something that we need to do because God calls us to and it's the very starting point. Now, many people think that repentance is about feelings and about tears and about feeling sorry for what you've done. But we need to understand that we can have regret and we can have remorse but they are not necessarily repentance. See, a lot of people have regret in their lives for decisions that they made or mistakes that they made or choices that they made. And they feel very sorry about that because of what's happened in their life. They feel sorry for themselves. But that's not repentance. A lot of people feel remorse for what they've done to other people 
when we were working in Fiji, some of the girls that um, had been involved in prostitution had um, ended up with a venereal disease and that had been passed down to their children. And they were very remorseful about that having happened to their children. But that's not repentance. Repentance is feeling sorry for the things that we've done to God. When we bring in that God dimension, then we're really talking about what repentance is. The unique feature of repentance is what you feel you have done to God, that you've offended him, that you've hurt him most. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Got his inheritance, ran away, squandered it all, came back and said to his earthly father, I'm so sorry I've made a mess. But what he said most importantly was I'd sinned against heaven. That's repentance. Not that he was regretful about living in the pig's, in the pig's mud, not just remorse about what he'd done to his father, but he actually came to a point of realising that he defended God more than anybody else. And that's where we need to come to. It's God we've hurt most. It's God's laws we've broken. It's God's love we've refused. It's God's anger, we, anger we've provoked. It's God's judgment we deserve. It's God's judgment that we really should have on our lives but it's God's mercy that we need. And it becomes what Paul described as godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Remember when Cain killed Abel, killed his brother? He had great remorse for that, but he never actually owned it, said, yes, Lord, I'm responsible, and repented. We've got to come through and repent. So properly understood, repentance is three things. It's when in our minds we realise that we've offended God and when we come to that realisation in, in our, our conscious mind, that then comes out as a confession. We speak the words out. But not only do we speak the words, then we have to allow that to become the deeds of our life, change behaviour. So repentance is not just something that happens in our head. It then has to flow out through our mouth as confession or renouncing and then it becomes changed behaviour. It's no good just to say, yes, God, I know I've done the wrong thing, but still keep doing it. Repentance is to understand I've got to change my behaviour completely. You know, too often that we lead people to the Lord with just a simple sinner's prayer. But when you look at repentance in the New Testament, it's very specific. It's about specific sin, specific things that we did wrong. I don't think you can repent generally. Dear God, I'm sorry for a life that was a mess. I think we've actually got to break down the individual sin and say, Lord, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Sorry for these things. It's a plural thing. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to, be given, to forgive us. And it's when we begin to realise in our mind that we have offended God, that two things happen. Firstly, we realise that God is a much better person than we thought he was. And then we realise we're a much more horrible person than we thought we were. You know, when you talk to an unbeliever about God, usually they think that God is unfair. And what they're really saying is, if I was running the universe, I could do a better job than God. Why does he allow this and why does he allow that? 
what they're really saying is, I know better. I know better than God. That's a dangerous place to be in. But for a Christian who comes to that saving knowledge of who God is and what he's done, we realise just how ugly our lives really are. We realise how mucky we are and we have a much lower view of ourselves. In fact, the higher your view of God, the lower your view of yourself will be. Like Isaiah said, I've been undone. I've seen a glimpse of God in all his glory and all his majesty and, and, and I'm a sinner. I've got nothing to offer God at all. So when we repent in our mind, we do a somersault in our thinking. Used to go that way, now we turn and we go this way. It's the Greek word metanoia, which means a change in our mind, moving in a totally different direction. Here's an interesting thing. As you begin to think about your human condition the same way that God sees you, something interesting is going to happen. Not only are you going to see the bad things that you've done need repentance, you're also going to see that the righteous things that you've tried to do need repentance as well. And most people think repentance is dealing with the yucky stuff, the mistakes, sleeping around, pornography, the occult, but it's also all the things that we've tried to do, in, to do to be righteous because in the end they need to be repented of as well. The scriptures, what's that old song? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So even the very best thing I've tried to do for God is not good enough. It still falls short of God's standard. You know, the Bible's really blunt about that. In Christian circles these days, when we use the scriptures, we've sanitized them a lot. When we've translated them from Greek or Hebrew into English, we actually used very sanitized, nice, polite words for nice, polite congregations. But in the original language, this scripture is blunt. Isaiah says about the righteousness in our life that it's like a menstrual rag. The very best we've done for God is filthy. That's the best we can bring to God. It's still not acceptable in his sight. When Paul was writing in the Philippians, he sort of said the same sort of thing. He said, when I think about the laws that I've obeyed, and Paul obeyed nine out of the ten commandments, when I think about the ones that I've tried to keep, it's like crap. The literal word in the Anglo-Saxon would be, you know what? That's the language that Paul is using. It's actually the imagery of, of a little boy who's, who's pooed in a potty and then he holds the potty up and he says, look what I've done. That's the best we can do for God. And that's not a nice place to come to, is it? To realise that the very best I've given to God is just not acceptable. But remember... That's the start of a process. We don't finish there. We end up spirit-filled, fully alive, cleansed, renewed. Our sin gets washed away if we're willing to deal with it. In other words, my righteous deeds are just as far short of God as my very bad deeds. To come to yourself, to be in a place where you're willing to repent means you strip away all the masks, 
all the pretense, all the lies, all the deceit, and you just come and say, God, here it is. Everything about me is useless and horrible. Would you take it and deal with it? Then we come into that beautiful relationship with God. So first, our minds must change. Secondly, we must confess our sin. When John the Baptist started preaching and the Pharisees came to him and said, we want to be baptised or why are you baptising people? John would actually ask people to make a public confession of their sin. When he took them down into the river before he baptised them, he would have asked people, so Sam, I'm going to baptise you today. What do you need to confess? And publicly he would have to speak out all those things that God was illuminating to him and declare them publicly. Now here's why. If I speak something out, firstly it makes me accountable for that sin. You know, it, 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 I can't keep it in the darkness anymore. I've brought it out into the light and I'm now accountable to the people that have heard me about that sin in my life. Naming it actually means I take ownership of it. I'm actually acknowledging that it was a damaging part of my life. And I deal with it by speaking it out. I bring it out of darkness into light. But it also makes me responsible for my sin. You know, if I take a sin in my life and I declare it publicly, I'm being accountable, but I'm also taking responsibility and saying, yep, I'm going to own that. I'm going to own that mistake in our life. Now, what's happening in Christian circles today is that we're teaching people about having inner healing instead of teaching people to repent. Now, there's a place for inner healing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. But the greatest need of the human condition is to repent before God because when I repent, I can't blame anybody else anymore. I can't say it was somebody else's fault. I, I can't blame someone for the character that I have for the choices that I make, I have to own those. And you know what we do when we allow people to own those things is we treat them like a human being, not a Pavlovian dog that doesn't have a choice. We actually allow people the dignity to deal with God in honesty. So important that we do that. We're actually treating someone like a real human being when we don't allow them to make excuses, when we allow them to own the mistakes in our life. Yes, there can be some really horrible things that are done to us in our life. But it's much harder to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for healing. And we need to ask for forgiveness. We are not the result of the things that have happened to us in our life. We are the result of the choices and the responses that we've made as a result of that. And if we've allowed ourselves to become bitter, it's because we haven't forgiven what was done to us. And so if we come into repentance, then we take ownership. Have you ever heard my kids say this occasionally? Oh, it was the kids that I hung around with. They made me do it. You ever heard that before? Or someone in a court of law says, oh, you know, I got into bad company and they made me do it. You're blaming other people for your mistakes. When repentance is saying, no, I'm responsible, I chose that company, I chose to be with them, I chose to make that decision, I chose to go to that nightclub or I chose to break into that house or I chose to do that, 
Repentance is being stripped bare before God. And confessing it is so powerful. So confessing it in words before God is to say, God, I've finished. I've finished with pornography. I'm not going back to it. You, you all know I've had a problem with it. I'm accountable to you. I'm taking responsibility for looking at stuff at the computer that I shouldn't have. And then you then publicly put it out there. And you've brought it out of darkness, out of deception. You put it on the table and you said, God, I know in my mind I need to make a change. I'm confessing that verbally and then we need to stop doing it. We just need to stop. And that's why the third part of repentance is the deeds of repentance. It's not good enough to say, God, I'm going to change. We have to prove that we have change. And that's the hard part of repentance. When the, when the Pharisees came to John the Baptist and said, we want to be baptised, uh, John said to them, okay, I'll baptise you on this condition. You go and change your behaviour. Show me the fruits of righteousness and then I'll baptise you. What we do in this day and age is we take someone into the water and we say, Sam, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You would say, yes, I do. Then I'm going to baptise you in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and we would baptise him. What we should be saying is, Sam, have you changed your life? You know those things you declared that you confessed, that you repented of? Have you stopped doing them? Have you actually changed them? Now remember the story of Zacchaeus? Jesus came to Zacchaeus's house. In the middle of the lunch, he stood up and said, I've been ripping everybody off. I've been diddling my books. Then he said, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor and I'm going to go back to everybody that I've ripped off and I'm going to pay them fourfold interest on what I ripped them off. He knew he'd done the wrong thing. He confessed it publicly and then he was going to go and set the record straight. Now that's repentance. That's repentance when we go right through and we prove that we have a changed heart. It's putting that past right wherever possible. So for Zacchaeus, it was, it was a positive thing to do. Wouldn't you love it if someone came to your door and said, hey, Brian, I've been ripping you off, mate, but here's a couple of thousand dollars that I owe you. I mean, that would demonstrate true repentance, wouldn't it? If we actually went back in our lives and set things right. I don't know what that would look like. Maybe it would be going back into a relationship with that we hadn't said, sorry, I did the wrong things. Maybe it might be going back to an employer and saying, when I was working for you, I was ripping stuff off and give it back. I mean, repentance is setting the past right and sometimes we've actually got to physically go and do something. When Paul went to Ephesus and he preached the gospel and they got saved, they had to bring all their occult books out and they burnt them. The scripture says they were worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but they had to negatively do something, get some of their possessions and burn them. Remember, we led a young lady to the Lord called Vicky and she had a house full of occult stuff, books about angels and spirit guides and all sorts of rubbish. She had bags of crystals and all sorts of stuff and she brought them around to our place and she said, God's told me I've got to get rid of these. What do I do? And so we got a hammer out and we smashed all her crystals and we put the stuff in the fire and tried to burn it. Some of it wouldn't burn. And uh, there's all shrieks coming out of the potbelly stove and stuff like that. But, 
But she knew. Now, this wasn't a girl that had great Christian background, but in asking her to go home and say, Lord, what do I need to do in my life? She heard God's voice and she did something in terms of action to really prove that her life had changed. You know what? When we do that, there's an incredible release that comes when we do those right things before God. And maybe some of you have got a story about what God asked you to do when you repented. Maybe you had to go and apologise to someone. I know I had to go and apologise to my parents for my actions and for the things that I'd done. I'd never gone to them and said, sorry that I abused your home and did things in your home that I knew were offensive to you. I didn't respect your authority didn't respect your standards. But there was a great release that comes when you go and actually say, I'm sorry, and then put things right. And when we ask people to go through repentance, there's some really practical things that you and I can do to help people. Now remember, part of this process is preparing us to be midwives, to be able to lead people through into the fullness of God. The first thing we've got to do is teach people that repentance is serious. And that probably sounds obvious, doesn't it? But I think unless there's, unless there's an element of fear between us and God, I don't think people are really going to repent the right way. Now, the thing we've got to do is make sure that we have the right kind of fear in our life. And I think we can help people in understanding repentance is to, is to get them to see that where their life is going right now where is that going to end? That's the best way to help people understand that they need to repent. And the word that scripture used is perish. Now, if I have a hot water bottle, that's perished. And if I fill it up with hot water, what's going to happen? It's going to leak out. No good anymore. So if I have a hot water bottle that's perished, is it still a hot water bottle? Still looks like one, still feels like one, but you can't use it, okay? What could be the worst thing in the world to be a human being, to look like one and to feel like one, but to know you are absolutely useless, that you are useless to yourself and that you are useless to God? That's what the word perish means. That's who we were. That's the most tragic thing. Like to lose your job and to be retrenched is, is terribly demeaning to your self-esteem. But to come to a realisation that in God's universe, you have expired your usefulness to yourself, to others. What would you do with a hot water bottle that was perished? You'd put it in the incinerator. And hell is God's incinerator for human beings that have got no more use. I can't think of anything more horrible and tragic than to contemplate that. That is what this world is facing. We need to teach people that the road that they're on leads to destruction. And then we can help them work through the process of repentance to change their mind, to convert. Now, sometimes when you convert, Someone persuades you that, that, that the Christian life is truth. But sometimes people persuade themselves. 
They read the scriptures or something happens. So that conversion process can take time. And we're part of that in people's lives. But as we bring them through, we need to realize that they've got to change that mind, they've got to confess, and they've got to walk the walk. So we've got to help people be serious. The fear of becoming utterly redundant in God's universe. That's the fear of the Lord. But God loved us so much that he didn't want anyone to perish. And that's what we need to teach people. The second thing we need to do is help people be very specific in repenting. These days, it's very easy to do. A lot of um, groups like Neil T. Anderson and those groups, they actually have compiled lists. There's 30 lists in Scripture of the sins that are offensive to God. I think they total about 120. But what's happened in this day and age is some people have actually made up a list. And what you can do if you're leading someone to the Lord is that you can give them the list and they can work down the list. They can say, yeah, I've been in a seance. Or, yeah, I've had other sexual partners before I got married. And they can actually go down the list. Sounds a bit clinical, but it's actually not. Because it's actually helping you to identify in their life what needs to be repented of, and then you walk them through. So sometimes it's purely confession, but other times we need to actually renounce things and to say we're done away with it. But we can really help people be practical by being, by being serious and by being specific. And then the third thing we can do sometimes this is the most important thing to do, is to ask God for a revelation. So if I was sitting with Sam and counselling him, I could say, Sam, um, I'm going to pray that God would bring to your mind anything in your past that God wants you to deal with and ask God to reveal to him the specific things that God wants dealt with. The flip side of that is that you can also ask the Lord to reveal to you to your mind, the things that Sam needs to repent of. Both of those are great things to pray as you're leading people in a guided conversation. Let's face it, most people don't know how to repent. They've got to be led. They've got to be walked through a process, a guided conversation. So, so Kerry, tell me, what are the sins that you most hate yourself for? Or what are the things that you most want to get rid of in your life? By a guided conversation, those things will come up. They'll come to the surface. And that's all our job is, is to, is to lead people through gently and help them understand. So we can ask for a revelation and God will illuminate either to our mind or to their mind. And the very last thing we can do is help them to be sensible. Now that might sound silly, but it's not. You need to help people be, to be sen sensible. Because Jesus cures not what we feel guilty about, but what we are guilty for. Okay, Sometimes people can have a, a psychological over-exaggeration about guilt. And there's so many tears, but we need to bring people through and put them before God and let them repent and let them be sensible about it. I mean, if you lived in Africa for five years and you ripped someone off with $5, it probably isn't sensible to get on a plane fly to Africa and go and repay the $5 back. You know what I mean? You can't go back and change everything. But God is going to ask you sometimes to do things in your life to set things right. That's what repentance is. 
pretty heavy topic, eh? But we need to understand the fullness of it because the danger is if we don't walk people through, they end up never really cleaning out their past, never really dealing with their past. And you can't, do you understand this? We've got to empty out our lives before we can fill it with the righteous stuff. And that's what repentance is. It's getting that ugly list of horrible things that we've done wrong, that we've offended God for. Deal with them. Sweep the house out. Clean it out. And allow God by his spirit to come and fill us up with all the good stuff. You know the story in scripture where there was the deliverance ministry and they cleaned this person out? What happened? Enemy came back seven times stronger, right? With seven Same principle. If we don't clean people out but then fill them with God, fill them with the Spirit of God, we leave them high and dry. It's not about creating a vacuum. It's about dealing with the muck in our life and allowing God to then fill us with the right sense of who we are and a sense of destiny and a sense of purpose and a sense of power and a sense of cleanliness and holiness and righteousness. If we just stopped at repentance, Christian life would be miserable. And I've met lots of miserable Christians. We've got to bring people through to the fullness and the joy of the Spirit. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so it's that whole process. I'm sorry we've taken one in isolation and pulled it out, but I want you to understand repentance because the day will come when you'll lead somebody to the Lord. And if you can go back and just say, mind, mouth, deed. Teach them how to change their mind, how to speak it out, and then encourage them to go and live it out. Then you'll know they've really repented before God and God won't have to keep touching them on the shoulder all the time and saying, yeah, but hang on, you need to deal with this. If we do that at the birth, at the beginning, we'll cut the cord. And when we cut that cord, we're free from the shackles of the enemy. We've cut the bondages and we're able to enter in to the fullness of the spiritual life that God wants for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and lead us in a few songs this morning. Just as we finish up. What I'd like you to do this morning as you've um, just been listening is, is to ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that needs to change? Is there anything that he, he wants to illuminate in our lives this morning? Just spend some quiet time with the Lord as the guy's playing. They can just play without singing. And then when you're ready, would you come and partake in the communion table? Now, communion is one of those things that's serious. It's serious because the scripture says that some of us are sick, some of us have actually died because we've partaken of these elements with the wrong attitude and not being right before God. And so Christians don't have to have a long list of repentance every week to go through. We keep small accounts with God. And so as we come this morning, it's just like, Lord, is there anything in my life that, that's offensive to you that you want me to deal with today? Deal with it and let God cleanse you. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us. That's the beautiful promise. And his blood keeps on cleansing us, keeps on purifying us. And we walk in that beautiful relationship with God. Relationship with God. Relationship with God. Relationship with God. Relationship with God.